you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church. We're going to be here back in Revelations chapter 3. Revelations. I don't know why I say revelations. It's a revelation. The revelation of Jesus. Revelation chapter 3, which we, we begin to, to speak on this last week concerning concerning spiritual mediocrity. And I can assure you, if you're in this room this morning, there's not much of a spiritual mediocrity in you. Amen. So when we're talking about these things, don't don't have a don't 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 receive these things like like the Lord's coming here or like I'm coming here giving a rebuke to the church because there's things that, that I don't like that's going on because that's not the case but but I do believe that the Holy Spirit is is desiring to speak some things as a warning to us right because it's a very easy place for us to get out of what just took place a few minutes ago and end up into a dead church that you walk in and you end it, and you begin to show up because this is what you're supposed to do but we never step into what we just stepped into a few minutes ago and see this is what church has always been designed to be this is the danger of people that that want to sit there and watch live stream church because there's not the same kind of anointing when, when, when Brother Shola and his family comes in and, 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 and you come in and you come in and we all gather together. This is why Jesus said, don't forsake the gathering together. Even as these days are drawing to the end, to a close, you can't forsake that. Why? Because you need this anointing. It's what's going to energize you. It's, going to, it's what's going to birth something on the inside of you. It's where words are going to get released. It's where your callings are going to come. It's where destinies are going to be released. Don't forsake those things. You've got to jump it. You've got to guard it. You've got to protect it with everything you have. Because if you don't, without his anointing, we end up in mediocrity. We end up like so much of our brothers and sisters around the world. Amen. That, that haven't tasted what, what we just tasted. They haven't tasted that presence coming into a room and just resting on us. And that's a scary place to be, church. That's a, that is a thing that probably scares me more than anything. Because I don't get to come into a place and feel Holy Spirit just come in and rest. Rest upon the people. So this isn't, this isn't a rebuke, church. This is, this is a warning. You know, the Lord, the Lord gave these as, as warnings to the church. He was speaking to the church, but it was a warning for us in the age that we're in right now to not step into what these churches begin to step into, what many churches have already stepped into. See, see a lot of, like we said last week, a lot of people begin to teach these things like it is a representation or it's very symbolic of different, different areas or different time frames or different ages within the church age. Like, you know, there, you know each, each of the seven or different seven stages that the church is going to be in before the Lord, the Lord comes back and receives us. But, but listen, church, I don't necessarily put all of my... My, my thought life, my, my faith into that type of teaching. You say, why is that? Because listen, if you go and you start studying these churches, these were specific churches. I mean, these aren't made up churches or symbolic churches. No, these were specific churches in this day and age, about 95 AD, that the Lord began to speak unto the Apostle John because he had an influence in these churches. He said, listen, I need you to begin to speak to these churches. There are some encouragements that need to go forth, praises that need to go forth, but there's some, there's some dire deficiencies that are in these churches too, and I need you to go in as an apostle, and I need you to correct these things because they're in danger. They're in danger. They're in danger of opening up doors, amen, for the adversary to come in and do some things. Listen, church, these are, these are real churches that are doing an, a real amazing work for the king. But these are also real churches that had some real problems. I mean, they had some real problems. Now, listen, I'm, I'm sure there's some truth we can line up, you know, you know, with the missionary age and, you know, with the open door, you know, with different churches. And, and listen, you can look at the church right now and you can say it looks a whole lot like Laodicea. Listen, I, I get that. I understand that. But if we'll come to the place of just looking 
at each church. Listen, let me say it like this. Maybe the danger of looking at it like it's ages is we, we won't look back at, at, the, at the church of Thyatira or the church of Smyrna or the church of Sardis and, and we'll say, oh, those things don't pertain to me. The only thing that pertains to me is this, is the church of Laodicea. Amen, but that's not exactly true because I can look around uh, churches, including ourselves, and I can see the very praises that Jesus was pouring out on the church. I can see him pouring out on these. And then I can see some corrections that need to go out in the, into the body of Christ you know, worldwide that, of, 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 from Ephesus, from all the different churches, not just Laodicea. Amen. So we got, we got to have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is having to say. Amen. Because listen, church, if, if these seven churches are seven different stages, I mean, listen, church, what was the church of Ephesus? They're a church that was doing some amazing things, but, but they, begin to, they begin to do it without their first love. It began to be a works-based church. It began just to, just to show up. They, it began to be habit. It began to be religious. How many of those churches do you see nowadays? Hmm? What about, what about the next church? What about the, the church of Smyrna? It was, it was the, the persecuted church. I mean, there are a church that, that Jesus is saying, listen, listen, Satan's coming after you. He's coming after you. I mean, he may even put some of you in jail. He may even martyr some of you. But you stay firm. You stay in faith until the end. And then you'll receive a crown. But you're going to have to stay faithful until the end. Amen. You look at, look at the church at, uh, at Pergamos. It was the, the compromising church. They're doing some amazing things, but they compromised. They allow some compromising doctrines to, to come into the church, and they compromised because they were sitting right in the seat of, of Satan himself. They say it's like his throne was in the middle of their city, so they allowed some things to come in because, you know, you know, we're just receiving so much persecution. They're doing some great things, but there's some things that need to be corrected. Look at the church at, at uh, Thyatira. I mean, an amazing church, full of power, but they allowed bad doctrine into their church. They became corrupt. Why? Because they allowed ministers to stay up they allowed the prophets or the prophetesses to begin to to stand up and begin to to minister things that were unscriptural amen oh you can go participate with the orgy you can go participate with the sin of this world just make sure you come to church and pay your tithes amen and they got a big fat rebuke from that what about the church of sardis I mean, it says, you're an amazing church. You do, you've done some amazing things. You have a reputation that you're so alive. He says, but I'm telling you, you're dead like a corpse. Woo. What about the, what about the church here at, at Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love? I mean, he says, he, he says, listen, I got an open door. You've been so faithful. You're not the biggest church in the world. The, the gifts aren't flowing in your church like some of the others. But listen, I'm going to tell you something. You've been faithful, and I got a door that's open specifically for you that no man's going to be able to shut. And then we get to the church of Laodicea. It says that you're, you're rancid. You're like, you're lukewarm. Your fire's gone. Your anointing's gone. I'm going to purge you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out because, because you've become disgusting. Whew. Some pretty tough words. You say, well, does this really mean that Laodicea is that every church now? No, no, it's not. Why? Because I'm, I, I'm a part of the island church. <laughs> Amen. I know Jesus isn't trying to spit us out of his mouth here. That doesn't mean we're doing everything correct here. Amen. But his presence shows up into this house. Amen. And he speaks to us. We commune with him. Amen. It's not, it's not a, we, haven't, we haven't lost the anointing, if you will. All right? So if you remember, let me just do a little bit of a background here. Remember, there's two churches here, two out of the seven that did not receive a rebuke. The church of Smyrna and the church of, of uh, Philadelphia. They did, not, they did not receive a rebuke from him. They only received praises. They only received commendations from him. You say, why is that? It's because it was the posture of their heart that they had. How many of you know that everything in the kingdom of God has to do with the posture of your heart? Every consequence of what we are doing here in this world and what we'll be doing in the days to come, listen, it is directly associated with the posture of your heart. 
I mean, see, this is why we got to stop looking. We got to stop looking at the kingdom of God through a religious set of lenses and think everything here on this on on what the kingdom of God has to do with heaven or hell. I mean, I can't. I can't it's like every single message or every time you talk to a Christian, it's like, well, is this person going to hell? Is this one going to heaven? Everything is about heaven or hell. And listen, church, the kingdom of God is not about heaven or hell. It's not about a place. The kingdom of God, salvation, is about a person. His name's Jesus. Amen. If we'll get our, the posture of our heart right with him, listen, it'll cancel out all these questions we have about what's going to happen. What am I doing? Right now? Where am I going to end up? And what are the works I should be doing right now? The works you should be doing right now will be birthed out of the posture of your heart. I mean, see, that's a, that's a word the church really needs to hear today. You say, well, what does that mean? Listen, the things that you do, the actions that you do, what you do in your daily life, what the church, the, the church likes to call works. What, what the works that we do are specifically associated with what your heart is thirsting after, what it's hungry after. Full stop. Full stop. You know, what your heart hungers, what your heart's in union with, what your heart's married to, is you're going to begin to see being produced in your life. Right? See, works, they can't produce salvation for us. Amen? Works don't produce a salvation, but in your salvation, in your union with Jesus, it will produce something. Amen? It'll produce a lifestyle. It'll produce, it'll produce what he is leading you to do. I mean, it blows me away, people, all the time. Oh, I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. I love Jesus, but I, I really don't like to pray. I, I love Jesus, but you know, his word, I don't really want to study that. I don't really want to get into that. I mean, you don't love Jesus. How can, we, how, can, how can you love Jesus but dislike or hate everything that he's in love with? Huh? It's an impossibility. So instead of worrying about who's going to heaven, who's not going to let's, let's let's worry about the posture of the heart. And then we'll be able to look and see what fruit's being produced like Jesus told us to measure. Amen. It makes things really simple, church. It makes things really simple. Everything's about union. So two only got praises. There's one church that didn't get any praises at all. One church didn't get any praises at all. You say, why is that? They only received rebuke and a correction. And on the backside of that, which we'll get into, they got an encouragement. But it wasn't a praise. It was an encouraging them to do something. But they only got a rebuke and a correction from the Lord. You say, why is that? Because the posture of their heart had shifted. And the posture of their heart had shifted. Why? Because they got more concerned or more in tune or more in union with societal status than they had with him, than they had with the Christ. You say, well, why, why did God bring correction? Why, is it, why did he not love them? Did he not like them? Did Jesus hate them? Did he want them to go to hell? <laughs> listen, church, if, if these are some of the things that, that we think about our Lord, listen, I need to introduce you to him today. Amen. For anyone that's on live stream or on podcast, listen, look at our number online. I will introduce you to him if this is what you think, that you think that our Lord wants to cast anyone aside because of a mistake they made. Listen, you don't know Jesus. I mean, our, our, our King Jesus, he, he doesn't run away from us when we get in problems. No, he runs to you when there's issues. I mean, he goes hunting after us when he finds us separated or getting ourselves apart from him. He comes looking for us, church. I mean, come on, church. Listen, what did he do with Adam and Eve? When they sinned in the garden, they lost his glory. What did, it, what did he do? Did he say, get out of here, get away from me? No, he went looking for them. He went, look, Adam, where are you? Where are you? My glory's been taken off you. Where are you? He didn't run from Abraham, say, Abraham, man, you messed up. Now, now, now who am I going to bring this covenant through? It can't come through you. You keep on telling all the kings when you go into their cities that your wife is your sister and they want to marry her. You keep lying. No, you can't have anything. No, no, he came to him. Did he rebuke David and, and cast him aside? Amen. The one that, that was a murderer, the one that was an adulterer, did he cast him aside? No, he said, the throne is going to become, it's the throne of David that our king sits on. It's the throne of David. 
That said, did he cast Peter aside when Peter denied him and Jesus cut his eyes over to him? He heard every word he said. No, I'm telling you, church, he may have gave them a rebuke. He didn't cast them aside. Amen. I'm telling you, church, he won't cast you aside either. He's not casting you aside. He's not casting the church. He's not casting the church away. And listen, church, do you ever find yourself in a dry and a weary place? Listen, you're in a dry and a weary place because you've separated yourself from him. Stop running from him. Run to him as fast as you can. Yes, you may get corrected because he's good. You may get corrected. Amen. But this is also where you'll find yourself, where you can step back into the, to that union, into the answers that he has for each and every one of us. Amen. So why, so why did this church, why did Laodicea, why, did they, oh, why were they the only ones that received correction? Because Jesus loved them so much. Although they were not doing things the way he desired for them to do, he was trying to bring forth correction in their lives. He was trying to divert their path. Why? Because they were on a path that was going to bring absolute destruction to them and the people that were around them. So he was speaking to them, trying to, trying to woo them back, trying to, trying to love on them, you know, enough to where he opened up their eyes to bring some sense back in them that these people understand that you're not doing things the way I've asked you to do it. And there's going to be a consequence from it. See, this is the way any, any good bridegroom operates, church. Any good bridegroom, amen, is going to come after and he's going to try to correct the path if something gets off. I mean, my, my beautiful bride over there, listen, church, you know, if she, if she comes to the place where she's more in love with stuff, Amen. Than she than she is with me. If she if she if she comes to this place where she she likes you know the praises of people, or she wants to be in the office or ministry or church more than her eyes wants to be on me. If she wants to be around friends and her eyes want to be on me. If she wants to be have the eyes of her children on her more than she wants to have on me. I'm gonna tell you something, church. I'm gonna confront it. You say why is that? Because she's mine. Those eyes are for me. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I love how the Lord gives us permission here in, like, in James chapter 4, verse 5. He says, I mean, does the scriptures mean anything to you when it says that, that the spirit that God has breathed on the inside of us, he's a jealous lover for you. He wants more and more and more. Listen, I don't want less of her because we got married. I demand more. I want more intimacy. I want more truth. I want more closeness. I want more union with her. And this is what our Lord demands from him, from us. So, yeah, yeah, congrats. Yeah, you, you received me. Praise the Lord, I'm your master. Now, now that's, not, that's not where it ends. This is where it begins. I want more. And he demands more of us. More union. And he's, and he's such a, a loving bridegroom. that He's going to come. He's going to correct us when our eyes begin to wander. And they begin to look on things that aren't, that aren't him. Why? Because he's jealous for you. He's jealous for you. Whew, thank you, Jesus. I mean, is anyone thankful for that? I'm thankful our God's jealous for us. This is why, this is why I listen, you, we get, there's a lot of correction that goes forth from, from this pulpit here. Because I love correction. The Lord knows that and he can speak these things. Man, I don't have a problem giving it to you. Why? Because he loves you so much. He wants to get everything out of the way so he can draw you closer. Because he's jealous for you. Because he loves you. Whew. Loves you enough to where he's not going to allow you to stay the way you are. Praise God for that. So Listen. Hallelujah. Listen, here in uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, I think we got through the, like the, the angel at the church of Laodicea. He goes, write these things, say it to amen, the faithful, true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Amen. The beginning of the creation of God. Now, we're probably only going to be able to tackle this first verse 
this week because time has gotten away from us a little bit. But, but let's, just, let's just dive back into this again. First off, we, let's go back to what we talked about last week. It says, under the angel of the church of Laodicea. Who is this angel? The angel that, that the Lord has placed over the church at Laodicea. Who was it? Was it a seraphim? Was it a cherubim? Was it Abraham, uh, uh, Gabriel? Was it, was it Michael? Who, who was it? It wasn't, listen, church, it wasn't a specific angel that he's put over a church. No, it was his leader that he put over the church. This is the Greek word angelos, angelos and that means the messenger. If you put uh, the Greek word ho in front of it, just like we say the, that's the Greek word ho, it's talking about something specific, something unique. He's talking about the one. I mean, the one that, I'm, that I put in leadership over this church. He's not saying to the group of people that I put over the church. He said, no, to the one that I put over the church, the pastor, the apostle, the, the, the uh, elder, the bishop, the overseer, the, that one that I've placed over this church. You know, like, like we say in modern terms, like the, the prime minister of the UK, the Taoiseach of, of Ireland, or the president of the United States, it's the one. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, um, that they don't have parliaments or, or Congress or things like that that help move things in a specific direction, but there's one that holds the liability. Hmm? There's one that's going to get voted out of office. Amen. If things don't go the way the Lord desires things to go. Amen. It's, it's the one. Amen. That's why he's talking here. The one. Jesus addresses these to, to the elders, the, the leader, pastor, apostle of, of the church. The one he says, listen, I got a word for my people that I've put in your responsibility and your care for you to serve. I need you to receive that word. I need you to process it because you need to understand exactly what I'm saying. And then you need to communicate it effectively into the church. They need to be able to hear and understand exactly what the Spirit of God is desiring to say into the people. Now, as you always say, listen, church, it's not because the pastor or the apostle or the elder, the overseer, whatever you want to call him. It's not because he's more than important than anyone. He's not more important than, than anyone in the church. He's not more important than the two-year-old sitting there. He's not more important than the person that just got saved this morning. He's not more important to them, but he has a specific office that God's holding them accountable for. I mean, he has a specific office that God is holding them accountable for. You know, where is that? Look, you know, when we're talking in, in, our, in our, our teaching there on the, on the gifts of Holy Spirit, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what was that, 4, 5, and 6. And those scriptures say, I thought, you know, uh, Bridget over there almost alluded to it. She came to the, on, on the backside of, of these verses a little bit later on in the chapter. But he says, there is diversities of gifts, diversities of the charisma, diversities of gifts of Holy Spirit, but it's one Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit, right? There's a difference of ministrations, but it's the same Lord Jesus. It says, but there's different operations, but it's the same God that works all in all. There's different operations or different offices. There's different places where God positions and places each of us. Well, yeah, I'll say that, Lord. How many of you know that everyone in the church, part of the body, they're in an office, Amen. So we look, oh, just so the preacher, that's the one. No, 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 no. No, you're in an office. He's called you to an office. He's called Japan into an office. He's called us into to do different things in the church. It's our job to get in the place of seeking him out, to find out what it is. Why? Because he puts us in there's many different operations. I mean, it's the same God. He's the one that places us in. He puts us in the body as he has designed us to be. To why? So we can benefit the body of Christ. Hmm? To where we can benefit the body of Christ. It's our job to seek those things out. To seek out where he would have us. Not where we want to be. Listen, church. This place right here is the last place I want to be in the body. It was one of the reasons I never wanted to serve God with everything I had because I didn't want to do these things. I know what responsibility is like. I've been, a, I've been a business owner for most of my life. I understand what responsibility for people and families are like. I understand that. And I didn't want that over his people. Amen. But he usually calls the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. 
You say, you calling yourself a fool? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because it gives him the glory. Because he gets the glory when you can see people like me as an absolute heathen. Amen. That can begin to plant churches, minister to people, train up people, send people off in their destiny, love on people. Hmm? Our God's good, church. Our God is good. Amen, amen. But listen, when God puts us into a position, when he puts us into an office, he holds us accountable for it. He holds us accountable for what we're doing and what we don't do. He holds me accountable for what happens here and what doesn't happen here. Whether we have a move of God or not, he's holding me accountable for that. Whether people get saved, whether people get healed, listen, I know we all have a part to play in that, but listen, there's one person that, that gets held accountable in that, amen? And I thank God he, he adds the, you know, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you know, by, you know, a whole group of people like the parliament to help, to help lead, amen? Well, yeah, I'll do it. I'll just, let, me, let me just say that. Is that in Proverbs 11.4? It says, it says there that where there is no counsel, where there is no counsel, it says people fall. Amen. But, but when there is a multitude, when there is a multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is safety. And I'm going to tell you something, church. It's very dangerous to have a boardroom church. I mean, I know that's not popular when you talk to churches. That stuff's not popular. Why? Because, oh, we need protection. Listen, listen there's, there is protection, amen, and a multitude of counselors. Amen, but when you have a boardroom church that says what can be ministered, what can't be ministered, listen, that's dangerous, especially when God's holding the pastor accountable for that. And he has to yield unto men or else he loses his job. I mean, that's dangerous, why? Because he won't begin to give the, those messages that, that start making you get on the edge of your seat a little bit. Why? Because God's demanding something more from you. All right? But listen, a leader is absolutely ignorant if he doesn't understand that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. There's safety with not just the other fivefold ministry gifts, but there's safety. There's safety that I have pastors over Kimberly. I mean, there's, there's safety there. Why? Because they will rebuke me. There's safety there. There's safety for other minister leaders we have in our life that, that, that don't have a problem speaking into our lives and saying this is right and this is. There's safety in there. There's safety in leaders that we have in this church. That they know our door's open. We can come talk to you about anything. We don't know about the way this direction's going. We don't know about this. What did you mean by this word? They have the ability to come talk and we can, you know, why? Because, you know, listen, church, Kimberly and me, we're not the only people that hear things. And we're, we're human just like anyone else. We can miss things. Amen. We have elders down in the church in Dundalk. I don't have a, they, they will have, they definitely have the freedom to speak there. They can come up even to hear and speak. Why? Because there's safety there. But it doesn't mean they have to follow every direction that they say. As many of them have found out when they've come to us. A lot of times I will, if the Spirit says to. Amen. But it, why? Because I'm the one that's responsible for to make the decision or not. Amen. Does that make sense? I mean, trying to, trying to you know, establish what, what spiritual leadership actually looks like in the church because most of the church is very confused on these things. Listen, most people that want to act like a, like a dictator in the church, it's usually because of their insecurities. Hmm? And insecurities is a dangerous thing to have when you're a leader. <laughs> All right? I'm not saying we don't all have insecurities. I'm telling you, those things can be dangerous. Hallelujah. So let me move on from that. It says, from the angel into the pastor, the bishop of the, of the church at Laodicea. I, I, I love this word. To the church. Now, this, this word church is, is a pretty phenomenal word in the Greek if you've never studied this out. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It comes from two different words, ek and kaleo. And it literally means to be the called out ones. It is the called out ones. Now, the fascinating things is Jesus, Jesus chose a secular term 
from a Gentile nation to call his church. He says, my, my church, my people, my body, they're going to be the ecclesia. You say, well, what was the ecclesia? It was the called out ones of Athens. In Athens, they had a governing body. These were, these were people, probably, the no, probably people of noble or nobility or wealthy or, or high intellectual standards because, you know, it was a very philosophical city. But they're, they're people that had some good, some things to offer, and they were literally ones that were chosen out of the city to do what? Where they could ratify laws. They could instill laws. They could change things regarding the city according to how the culture was beginning to move. They were called the ecclesia. They were called the called out ones. And I'm telling you, church, it's absolutely amazing that Jesus desired to call us this. You say, why is that? Because church, you are the called out ones. You are the called out ones that God has pulled out, amen, of this world, pulled out in our individual cities, pulled out of our families to do what? To be the governing body here on this earth to do what? To change the spiritual climate of this earth. This is what the church is desiring to do. You are the governing body that God has established as his ambassadors right here on this earth to do what? Not to just sit there and look cool and go to church. No, you're here to change the spiritual climate here on this earth. This is what, this is what we're called to do. This is our mission. This is our mission. A change. Hmm. I mean, you know, a change in the spiritual climate will always change the natural. A change in the spiritual climate will always change the natural climate, always change even the natural governments. See, so many people nowadays, we think, you know, because we're so consumed with the world, the church even does this. You know, we think we'll just protest. We'll, we'll sit there and rebel. Or we, you know, if these things don't work, we'll burn our cities down. We commit absolute anarchy to get what we want. I'm telling you, church, that's not the things of God. That's the things of the devil. I mean, you can look over in America right now and you can, you can see in different states in the West Coast and different places where, where they protested because they didn't like some of the causes that took place. And listen, I didn't like some of the causes either, but the way they went about it is despicable. They protested. That didn't work. What are we, we're going to burn our city down. We're going to burn the neighborhoods down. We're going to run out the rich. We're going to run out this and we're gonna, we are going to take over. And that's not, that's not the things that God has desired us to do. I mean, how many of you know, how many of you know that, that the spiritual has always been designed to change the natural? You say, why is that? Because the spiritual is so much more real than the natural. The spiritual is what created these chairs, this, this floor, these buildings, the atmosphere in the sky. It created us. It is the spiritual realm that created everything in the natural. You say, well, how in the world do we do begin to, to change the spiritual? Listen, church, this is what the, whole, the Holy Spirit was talking about this morning. Thank you, Lord. We get into that place of getting into our closet. We get into our prayer closet. We become intercessors. We can begin to pray and we pray and we pray, not because we're just going to sit there and we're going to be hidden in the closet and we're going to pray and that's going to change everything. No, you're going to pray so you can get your assignment and you can get out of that closet and begin to do what God's asked you to do. Why? Because you are the governing body here on this earth. You are. And But we got to get our marching orders, church. How do we do that? You got to get in a place of union and an intimacy with Him of union and intimacy with Him. A deeper union and intimacy with Him. Not be satisfied with the status quo, but want more. Want more. And church, I want more. And man, listen, if you, and then listen, I'm going to tell you, if you're in this place and you don't want more, it's going to be a very difficult place for you to be. Amen. That's why you see people coming. They come out. They come in. They come. Because listen, if you don't want more, if you don't want more of Him, you don't want more of the Holy Spirit, you don't want more of His Word, you don't want to be more corrected, you don't want to be more like Jesus, you're going to feel so uncomfortable here. Why? Because, church, we're, we're preparing to, we're becoming, hmm, we're stepping into what He's designed us to be of that governing body here, here on this earth. Let me give you an example. Maybe this will help you. In 300 AD, there was 
an emperor of the Roman Empire. His name was Constantine. And Constantine was the first emperor of the Roman Empire to convert to Christianity. And he not only converted to Christianity, since he's the one that, that became a Christian, he said that, that we're now a Christian empire, a Christian nation, if you will. But how did that take place? That took place at 300 A.D. It didn't take place at, at 34 A.D., just after Jesus you know, died, was resurrected, and then sent his church on their way. How did it happen? It happened at the grassroots level. You had the church. They were going out, getting themselves, getting their marching orders, then going out, and they were praying for the sick. They were preaching the gospel, getting people healed, getting people delivered, casting out devils, walking down the streets, freaking out devils. Listen, this is what they did nonstop. They were were the governing body. And when they were the governing body, what happened? You started seeing communities change. Families change, then communities change, then cities begin to change, then nations begin to change. And then, and then 270 years after Jesus pushed out the church, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The greatest empire in this earth said, you know what, we're a Christian nation. The, the, the emperor looked out and said, listen, everyone around us has changed. Everyone's becoming Christian. I think I'm going to have to do that as well. You want to change the government of this nation? You want to change the government of the UK? You want to change the government in Nigeria or in Ireland or in America? Listen, church, it starts at the grassroots level, not by protesting. Hmm? It starts by getting your marching orders and becoming who he has designed you to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen, he says, under the church, under the ecclesia, under this governing body of Laodicea, who is the Laodicea? Let me give you just a little bit of history because this will lay a good foundation of where we're going to be going here in the weeks to come. The church of Laodicea was a, was a, it was a powerful church, had some powerful things going on with it. Its original name was Diospolis. It was, it was the city of God, the city of Zeus. Now, there was a, there was a Greek king. His name was um, Antichus the second Theos. And this was, a, this was a king that had, he was infatuated with his wife, so he renamed that city of Diospolis, he renamed it to Laodicea after his wife, in honor of his wife. Right now, the cool thing or the intriguing or the interesting thing that we'll find out here in the days to come is there's, there's two different cities that were that were near Laodicea here. Now, now listen, how, how many of you know when you're, when you're going through the seven letters of the church, listen, it, what the Lord was doing, he was making a circle. Was, they call it like the Roman road circle. It was a circle. If you follow it on the map, there was a, it was a circle of all these different churches, starting with Ephesus, going all the way down, ending with Laodicea, and going back, back to Ephesus. It just, made, it just made a circle. He was going around the circle, going around a road that you could travel to each of these cities going back and, and stopping back at Ephesus, which was a port city. Amen. Now, now in Laodicea, 11 miles north of Laodicea, there was a city called Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis was a pretty amazing city. It had um, these mineral hot water springs that it was known for. So you had people from all over that district, all over the area would come into Hierapolis so they could, so they could sit in these springs and they could get you know, healed or whatever. They had medicinal values to it. You know, it was pretty cool. We went to, we went to England uh, a couple weeks ago. And we went to the city called Bath and, and we got to see this, this uh, uh, hot water springs that they had there right in the, right in the city of Bath that the, that the Romans built. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to see some of the things that we're talking about in the scripture. We got, we got to see. This is like where people all over England, all over the air used to come up there and go there. Why? Because these pools had medicinal values because of all the minerals that were coming up. They'd drink the water and, and so on and so forth, and it made them feel good, I guess, because of the minerals that were coming up. But people came from all over the area to go for that specific purpose, right? Now, now 10 miles south of Laodicea, Odyssea, there was a city called Colossae, right, which is where we get the book of Colossians, right? It's written to the people at Colossae, right? Now, the interesting thing about Colossae is it was, it was down in the middle of the Lycus Valley, 
And it, so it had mountains coming down, flowing through the city. And it had this freezing, refreshing, cold water that began to flow through the city. And people, during, during the heat of the summer, because this is a hard part, this is in western Turkey, right? So, so during the hot part of the year, you know, people would always come into the city so they could, you know, get into the water or the temperature would be cooler there. Kind of like when you go to Ireland, you know, you know, there can be that cool breeze coming off the sea and it just adds a little chill in the air. It'd be the same thing there, except it was smoldering hot, right? So people go there, drink some of this cold water, you know, you know, swim in this cold water because it would have been refreshing to them, right? Now, all three of these churches, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae, they're, they're all planted by one man. His name, historians say it was planted by a man named Epaphras, which you've probably ran across that name as you've studied the Word of God. He was a man that knew Paul. He knew a lot of the apostles. He did some amazing things. Now, Paul, although he wrote to the church at Colossae, he never went to Colossae. But see, he knew Ephesus really well. You say, where does Epaphras come to this? He went to, he went to the church at Ephesus when absolute revival was going on there, where they're laying, you know, touching Paul with handkerchiefs, going laying it on sick people, and they're getting healed. I mean, amazing things were happening there. Well, he came out of that revival and planted these three churches. How many of you know that out of this revival that's getting birthed here, church, this is, this is, how, this is how a grassroots level of a nation gets changed? You say, what does that mean? It means you get full of the glory of God and you go out and then you start ministering the word of God and churches get planted. Amen. And then you see a whole nation and an empire get changed. Amen. Why? Because of God reviving and waking his people into his glory. Amen. Now, I'll continue on here. And uh, some of the, another interesting fact to notice about this city is it was a city that that was known for its medical district. They had a strong medical district. They even, they even found or, or produced or invented, maybe is the correct word, an eye salve that they could, they could put on people's eyes and it, was, and it was doing a good job at healing people's eyes at this time. It was pretty amazing. So you had all people not only you know, coming to the, to the cold water and the warm water and then hitting Laodicea in the middle, but they're always, people were coming to this medical district so they could get their eyes healed of, of different problems, right? And now the last thing that we need to know about Laodicea is Laodicea was wealthy. They were the center of all these different churches. They had the money. Amen. They had twice as much as any of these other cities. See, we, it's hard for us to envision these things sometimes because we know we got the shopping center over here. We got the shopping center over here. Why can't they have a Sandsbury's on the other side of the, of, of the river? Why can't we, you know, we got, why can't we get a Tesco over here? You know, we, we think in those, those lines because we're used to everything being convenient to us because it's real easy for us to build things, right? In those days, it wasn't very easy to build. They didn't have the big construction crews with all this big equipment and could throw up a, a grocery shop or, or a different shopping center or whatever within, within a couple months. You know, it took years and decades to build these things, and they had double of everything else that everyone else had. They had double the shopping centers that everyone else had. They had double of the theaters. Most places were lucky if they had one. They had two of them. They had two sports complexes there, not just one. They had two, one for each side of the city. Why? Because they were wealthy. They had some serious money coming into that. They're also known as the city that was trying to bring hot and cold water into their city, right? Now, just as typical of the West, and I say the West, I'd be speaking more along the lines of like, you know, Europe and, and the Americas, you know, the, the West. It's interesting that we can, when the West has become naturally affluent, when the West has become successful, that we, that we come to this place of becoming spiritually mediocre, just like Laodicea has. Amen? You say, why is that? Listen, church, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but the one thing I can affirm is it seems like when pressure and persecution comes upon the church, this is when the church begins to lean on Jesus with everything they have. And when we don't have that pressure, when everything's taken care of because of what we can do with our own fiscal abilities, it seems like we stop seeking him and we're just satisfied with the status quo. We, we tend to begin to be people that coast forward. 
And then when a problem arises, church, I mean, I know when you are coasting forward and a problem arises and then you begin to go seek after the Lord, this is when you actually find out how far away from you are. Oh, you know, the, uh, yeah. oh man, cancer is trying to come upon me. Oh, maybe I better start praying. Maybe I better find some scriptures. Where, you know, where, where can I find some scriptures in the word of God so I can start standing against maybe, oh, I haven't been in church in a month. Maybe I need to go to church. No, no church. This, that, that's too, that's, it's not too late, but listen, you're way behind the rule. Amen. We ought to be, we ought to be seeking him out. You know, to where when these things, when the sniff of one of these things start coming up against us, you smack it right in the face with the Word of God, with your authority. Why? Because you're the governing authority on this earth, not Satan. Not Satan. Amen. We got to learn to be the ones that push with everything we have. How do we push? You only push when you're in intimacy. That's the only place you can have confidence to do it. I'm going to tell you something, church. Complacency, it's a killer to your faith. Why is the West having such the issues now? Because complacency is a killer to your faith. How in the world is it that, that the underground church in China, the underground church of women in Iran is doing a greater job than we are? Because they're not complacent. They're, 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 they're like, man, I'm just, if I can just minister one more people before I get my head cut off. Hmm? And they got the biggest revivals going on in the world. Complacency? telling you, church, will kill your faith. So let me just end with these. I'll go through these really quick. Oh, hallelujah. I'll go through these quickish. It says, unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, he goes, write these things, say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I love these. Jesus begins to reveal to this church that has departed, that has lost their anointing. He says, listen, let me tell you who I am. I, this is the one who's beginning to speak to you. I am the amen. See, that has the, that, that definite article in front of it. It has ho in front of it. He's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not one of the amen. I'm not one of the so be it's. No, no, you listen close because I am the Amen. You say, what is that word? Amen. He said, I'm the faithful word. I am, I am the one that's saying, so be it or let it be so, because I am the faithful word. I'm firm. I'm sure. I am, I am the final word. I'm the final authority. I am the amen. Who does Jesus describe himself as? He goes, I am the, I am the final word who is faithful, firm, and sure. I am the final authority. He says, I am the faithful and the true witness. I am the faithful one. Another definite article there. He says, I'm not a faith. I am the faithful one. I'm the one that's full of faith. I'm the one that's reliable. I'm the one that's kept faith. I'm the one that is worthy of your trust. Listen to me carefully because I'm the one that's faithful. I'm the one that's worthy of your trust. Jesus describes himself as, I am the amen. I am the faithful one. I am, I am the final word who is worthy of your trust, who's worthy of your trust. He says, I'm the, I'm the amen, I'm the faithful one, I'm the true witness. Now, witness, if you don't know what this word means in the Greek, it is powerful. It's the, it's the Greek word martus. And you say, what does that word martus mean? And, and, and back in these days, it was, it was a person that was called because they were an eyewitness or they had, they had a personal experience about something that, that took place and they were coming to give an account of it. Right? They were coming to a give an account of it. They were a martus. Now, the interesting thing about a martus is, is they, had, they were required to be a faithful witness regardless of the persecution, regardless of the attacks, regardless of any threats that came against them. You say, you say why is that? Because, you know, you know, have any of you ever heard this term we have nowadays? You know, snitches get, uh, snitches get stitches. You know, that's a, that's a term I, I would have grown up saying to people, you know, snitches get stitches, buddy. You know, better watch what, what you're telling people. You, you know what I mean? It's a, but it's the same thing back in these days. A martus, listen, listen, but they didn't just get stitches. Listen, these people would get killed. Their families would get killed. Their children to get taken. Amen. And, and these were people that were required, listen, you're going to have to give an account, even if it costs you your life, even if it costs you your family, if it costs you your job, whatever, you are going to stand and give an account because you have an eyewitness an account. You have a personal experience about what's taken place. Listen, this is where we get the, the English word martyr. 
it comes from, it's translated from martus. Right? You say, well, why is it, why is it like that? Because listen, we are called to testify of the truth of something we have personal experience with, regardless of the cost, regardless of persecution, regardless of the threats, regardless of what it is. See, is where you go back into Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, when Jesus is talking about us receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he says, listen, you can't leave Jerusalem without this. Why? Because I know what I'm sending you out to do. You have to have this. And, 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 say, what? and then when you receive this power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's going to give you this supernatural, explosive power. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, he says, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, right? Into Samaria, in Jerusalem, into, into some, in Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the world. I mean, now, now, see, so many times we think the baptism of the Holy Ghost, man, what is that about? That's just so I, you know, I got the baptism so I can speak in tongues and I can look at all these different Protestant denominations. And I can tell them how foolish they are because they aren't like me. I got, I'm greater than everyone else. I got tongues or, or I've got people healed. Listen, listen church, that's not, that's not why we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We didn't even have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can prophesy and speak things. No, 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 no. All those are a secondary consequence of why we received it. You received it to be a witness. And then see, when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he touches you and you have, you have an eyewitness, a, a personal encounter with him, and he heals your mind, he heals your soul, he heals your spirit, he heals your body. You know, your prophetic words start coming out. Them. You, have, you have this account witness within yourself. That's when you can go out and you begin to share it. That word witness there is martus. So you share what you've experienced. You share what you've come into contact with regardless of what it costs you. Regardless if it costs you your family. Regardless if they walk away from you. Regardless if it gets you fired from your job. Regardless if, if they take your life. Why? Because it's an experience that you can't deny church. I can't deny healing. You have to cut my head off before I'll ever, ever say that Jesus put something on somebody. You'll have to kill me. Why? Because I've had an experience with him. I've had an experience. And you're going to have to end my life before I'll, I'll say, no, that's not right. Why? Because I'm a witness. We've got to be witnesses under what, under what Jesus has called us to be. And so what did Jesus call himself? How do you describe himself? He says, I am the Amen. I'm the faithful one, and I am the true witness. I am the final word that's worthy of trust. I've given my life as an eyewitness testimony that you are the beloved of my daddy. This is who Jesus is describing himself to be. And the last one here is, he says, I am the beginning of all creation. How many of y'all know that Jesus is the only one that wears this title? He's the only one that wears that title. He says, I am the beginning. Not that I am the created one. No, I am the beginning of all creation. Meaning nothing is created without me. I am Alpha. I am Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the first and I am the last. It is about me. I'm not only the beginning and the end. I'm every single thing, every jot and tittle that's in the middle. Everything is kept together by Jesus. He is the glue that keeps all things together. Church, Jesus, he's everything. He's everything. This is why John 1.3 says, all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. What about Colossians? I love this one in Colossians 1.16, 17. He says, for by him all things are created, that in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, yeah, even, even the devil himself was created, but he wasn't created as the devil. He chose to be that, but he was created as the light bearer. Amen. He created everything, even the things that turned evil. He created them not to become evil because he loved them so much he gave them the choice to choose. He says, all things, whether it be thrones and dominions, principalities and powers, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and by him all things things consist. He is that glue that holds the universe together. 
I'm telling you, this is who Jesus reveals himself to be. When he starts revealing, listen, it, that means we need to start opening up our ears to hear what he has to say. He says, I am the final word who's worthy of trust. I, am, I have given my life to be an eyewitness testimony that you are the beloved of God. He says, because I am the beginning. I'm the beginning of all things, and without me, you can do nothing. Can we hear that, church? Without him, we can do nothing. And I mean nothing. This is what John 15, 5 talks about. He's the, he's the vine, we're the branches. He says, anyone that's in me, you will be producing fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. Hallelujah. I'll close here. If we can just grab a hold of who Jesus is trying to reveal himself to be. I mean, this is what we've been teaching on on Wednesdays. I mean, from a word that came forth a couple Sundays ago, you know, who do you say that I am? And then what do you do with it? What do you do with that? See, if we can answer that with a sincere heart and allow the Lord to, to begin to correct, change, shift, encourage. If we can answer these things with a sincere heart, listen, church, I'm going to tell you something. And this alone will keep us out of the posture of spiritual mediocrity. But we got to allow him to be king. We got to allow him to be master. We got to allow him to be Lord, not just our Sunday morning service. We got to allow him to be master over our lives and everything that we do. So what do you do with it? <laughs> what do you do with that revelation? Church, we better begin to walk in it. Any man that follows me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and then follow me. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your, ah, for your compassion. Thank you so much for loving us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the move. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for showing up in this house. Whew. I feel, I feel so ashamed, Lord, that, that there's so many people outside of this church, outside of these walls, that don't get to taste what you're doing in here. Lord, show us how to reach these people. Show us how to reveal. Lord, we ask you to send forth angels, you know, the Holy Spirit convict them, but Lord, show us how to reach them. And then give us the courage and the boldness to do it, Lord, because it's not right that they don't get to taste what we get to taste. They don't get to dwell in what we dwell in in this place. You let us be a voice. Let us be a witness. Whatever it costs us. Lord, if we tasted, we've tasted, we have a, we have a personal account of who you are. We are an eyewitness people. Let, whew, let us be witnesses unto you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we adore you. As we exit out of this place, Lord, we, we take a hold of your word. That no evil will befall us. Neither shall any plague come to our dwelling places, Lord. You give your angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways, to bear us up in our, your hands. In their hands, at least we dash our foot against the stone, Lord. We are protected in everything we do. Any means or modes of transportation, even when we leave out of this place, we're protected on the, the railways, the seaways, the airways, the motorways, Lord, even down the walk paths, Lord. There is no wicked plan from a wicked man or the devil himself shall come against us and harm us. Why? Because we're people that dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, we're yours, union with you. Anyone comes against your body, they're coming against you. So we thank you, Lord, that we are protected. No sickness, no disease may, may come against us nor our homes because we are the protected of God. We thank you, Lord, for the righteous labor of our hands as we step out into them this week. Lord, may we be a blessing. May the blessings of God come upon these corporations just because we're there, because we've showed up. You told us that everything we put our hands to shall prosper, Lord. We declare they are prospering even in the midst of recession and different problems going on. Lord, we are protected. We're well supplied. Lord, may we be an absolute miracle that someone's praying for this week. Lord, lead us, guide us, and direct us to them. May we wreak havoc on the devil's plans, destroying them, squashing them underneath our feet. Why? Because you've made us the governing body here on this earth. We are the ambassadors of Christ. You've called 
each and every one of us to be. Thank you, Lord, here at Island Church. We are covered by your blood. We're empowered by your word, Lord, and we are anointed. Hallelujah, Lord. We are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.